Thanks, guys. It's stirring stuff to hear and to see and to feel God's story and interaction with, with us since the beginning, isn't it? Now seems to be the critical time. Now between when Jesus has come and when he'll come again. and It's how we respond to him that seems to, that seems to matter. It seems to seal the deal for, for us. Uh, will you turn now, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, to Luke chapter 8 and we'll hear from his word as we hear him appeal to us to, to respond uh, in faith. And, and as we do that, if you're a good multitasker, maybe you can turn to your Bibles and join me in as we pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to hear your word this morning. Please speak. And as you speak, help us to listen. And even as we listen, we ask that you would help us not just to listen, but to take it to heart and to put into practice the things that we hear. Give us that grace, we ask, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. John uh, does send his apologies. His, um, if you know him at all, you'd know that he's not a type to take bed rest well. Uh, so he's been calling in from the office and sending emails every few hours just to sort of keep up abreast of things. But he thought it would be a good idea not to uh, spread <laughs> whatever he's had. It's not pleasant getting chicken pox when you're an adult. Uh, and so do, do remember him and, and, and pray for him. If you get a chance, give him a call uh, and encourage him this week. He should be back to work uh, and non-infectious in the week to come. But we'll see how that goes. Um, depends how his body is recovering. Let's talk about family. These people who should matter to us. And even if your particular relationship with particular family members isn't great at the moment, you should at least be able to concede that most cultures have, rightly so I think, put a special demarcation around family. There's a slightly different way of operating and relating between people in a family, certain expectations of how people are supposed to treat each other if they're related by blood, as opposed to if they have no relation. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. I'm sure you could tell me of a friend of yours, perhaps, who wants nothing to do with their family. I'm sure you could tell me about a friend that you have who treats you and who you treat uh, closer than you do people who you're related to. Some of that has to do with opportunity and context, the history that you have. Families are complicated. Sometimes it's just the geographical spread outness of your family. Sometimes it's critical incidents, conflicts, abuse, differing personalities, whatever. You know, uh, the variables go on and on and on. But the general picture is that Families should ideally be places where you have close, healthy relationships, where there's love and there is respect and people look after each other. It doesn't always happen that way. Some of our biggest heartaches and stresses come from when families aren't in that healthy space. Because these people matter to us. Or at least we feel like they should matter to us. Now, I'm, I'm risking speaking above my pay grade here because I'm no psychologist, but I suspect family has a pretty important part to play in our identity, both nature and nurture. How we're raised, for better or worse, has a pretty big impact on us. It shapes us. 
And some things we inherit from our parents that have nothing to do with environment. We could be anywhere. But just because we're their children, there's traits they've passed on to us, for better or worse. Some people tell me my, my daughter Evie takes after me, so God help her. I think she'd do a lot better if she was more like a mum, seriously. But and you hear those scary words from family systems experts that at some level we eventually turn into our parents. There's very little we can do about that. It used to be a thing in smaller towns, didn't it? Where, because everyone knew everybody, if you see a kid running down the street, the first thing you do is you associate them with a family. Ah, that's the Joneses boy. And because you know the Joneses or whatever family they're from, depending on what you know about the family, you form expectations about that kid because you know, you know how stubborn his father is, you know how sharp his mother is, you know things about the family that tell you about what this kid's going to be like. Some of us even carry those legacies in our names. Uh, my cousin, my cousin-in-law, uh, he, she married a Faroe Islander, a big Viking bloke. Uh, his name is Liva Ragnarsson, a good Viking Faroese name. And his last name is Ragnarsson because his father's name is Ragnar. So being the son of Ragnar, he is Ragnarsson. And that's how they do the naming. You can imagine Ragnar's name would have been Ragnar Sigmundsson, the son of Sigmund. And you can trace it all the way up the generations in that family line. And so Liva's kid, if he followed the tradition, if he had a boy, would be called so-and-so Liverson. The Scots do the same thing, no? they? The Muck at the start of their names. MacDonald, you can imagine, would at some point have been the son of, son of Donald. Uh, the Irish have the O's, O'Reilly, O'Riordan, the son of Riley, son of Riordan. And the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. Does it? Unless you're a particular brand of Western individualism and you're your own person, thank you very much. But God in his sovereignty has given us families to belong to. And when you think about your family, some of you are thinking with fondness and real thankfulness, and some of us are thinking less comfortably because families can be difficult sometimes. But they're yours, and you are theirs, and at the end of the day, your mum's still your mum, your dad's still your dad, your brother's still your brother, your sister's still your sister. Your child is still your child. And those particular relationships mean something. The way we treat those particular people count. Because you know, that phrase, blood is thicker than water. By which most people mean your family relationships are the most significant relationships you're going to have. A family has to take priority even over, over friends and when push comes to shove. <clears throat> now I learnt this week that that phrase, blood is thicker than water, doesn't actually mean what we think it means. It's an old saying. Uh, most people use it now to suggest that family comes first. But I was doing some digging around and the original usage actually means exactly the opposite of that. Now, the full saying is something like, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. The original context, as far as I can tell, is from 
war from the battlefield uh, where brothers in arms who fought and bled and risked their lives together share in the supposed covenant of blood which apparently forges stronger bonds than even the birth waters that you happen to be born in when your mum gave birth to you. And the point of the saying is exactly that there is a situation that creates a closer relationship than that of a biological family. That's called irony, isn't it? <laughs> the thing that's the way we're using the saying now is exactly the opposite of what we... What could make someone closer to you than the members of your own family? The experience of war, apparently. But Jesus gives us another one. Now, come look at Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Uh, I left my Bible down, so let me just grab one. Luke chapter 8, verse 19, where we see Jesus just going about doing his thing, his teaching, his healing. He's showing people what it looks like for the reign of God to be right there in front of them. And so, as usual, he's drawn a crowd. There are so many people here this morning, apparently, that when Jesus' mum and his brothers show up, they want to talk to him, they can't get to him. Now, come look at, uh, we're reading from verse 19, Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came uh, to see him, but they were not able to get close. They were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him, your, mother's, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Uh, what's going on here is very ordinary. I don't know if you noticed. This is just a day in the life kind of material. You think an episode like this would really just get left on the cutting room floor of Luke's book, but you know, it's the ancient day equivalent of someone calling up your home phone asking to speak to someone else in your house and you say, sure, I'll get him for you. It's not very interesting. Except for the fact that Jesus takes this very pedestrian sort of moment and turns it into an opportunity to show us something we otherwise wouldn't have seen. So someone comes in and says, hey, your mother and brothers are here to see you. They're outside. And verse 21. Jesus replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And that's all we get in this tiny episode. Uh, no elaboration recorded, that's, that's the end. Luke moves on to the next thing, but maybe no elaboration is necessary because it's such a simple point. Luke didn't think he had to go any further. Jesus says, my mother, my family, are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, he can't be talking about flesh and blood at that point because well, that's exactly his point, isn't it? Jesus here is introducing them to a spiritual dimension when it comes to family, where people are related to each other, connected to him, because of how they respond to God's word. Uh, this comes off the back of two fairly involved parables, the parable of the sower and the parable of the lamp, if you just look at the first part of chapter 8, which are all about how you receive God's word. Does God's word just bounce off your head in your scepticism so that nothing gets in? Because you know, there might be some spiritual stuff stopping you from actually hearing. 
Does God's word sit really shallow in your life? So, yeah, yeah, it's great, but when it really comes down to it, it means nothing to you. Or have you let so many other things in your life choke out what otherwise have been really, really good fruit growing? You know, God's word is planted in you, it's, it's growing up, but you've let all these other things get in the way and so you're not actually fruitful. Now, Jesus here says, those of you who, who hear God's word and put it into practice actually does what it says, you are my family. If you are that person, there's a recognition here by Jesus of a, a common ancestry is not quite the right word because we've been adopted in, but this, this family is a family that you belong to because you trust and you build your life on God's word. And so I think what Jesus is commending is that people hear what God said and then walk living it out. You do that, and you're in your family. And I guess conversely, you don't do that and you're out. He doesn't know you. There's no relation. So don't be, it's quite simple this morning, don't be someone who for whatever reason refuse, refuses to hear. Don't let your scepticism, or because you're cynical, or the fact that you've been so heavily influenced by a system of education and a culture that really even before it considers any evidence, rejects Jesus outright, denies the possibility of a God who wants relationship with you, who reveals himself. Don't do that to yourself. Because you do that and you cut yourself off from, from the person who can actually give you spiritual life. You cut yourself off from the possibility of spiritual life. Don't be someone who hears God's word week after week after week. You just let it wash over you. And it makes no difference because you don't do anything about it. Because you're afraid of what it'll cost you, because you don't trust God, or because you think you know better somehow. It's like what it says in the book of James. If you, if you do that, if you hear God's word every week and do nothing about it, you're like the person who stares at his face in the mirror and as soon as he looks away, he forgets what he looks like. Don't be so short-sighted. And don't be someone who knows what God says is good for you, but you get so tangled up with all these other things, the busyness and mess of our world, that you just can't get free to live in obedience to the God who you know gives life. I mean, is what you're holding on to really worth it? Because what God offers in Jesus is relationship, family. A relatedness with him who made you and sustained you and, and knows you through and through and is there for you. If you'd only hear what he has to say, believe it and obey. So yeah, they knew who Jesus' mum and his brothers were, flesh and blood wise. But Jesus is, is trying to show them that his spiritual family that's the one he's inviting them to all become a part of. I think that's the primary point of what's going on in this little episode this morning. There's family relationship on offer with God. And if you're here this morning and you're not in, 
whether you've never been in or there's things in your life holding you back, why don't you let today be the day that you let God's word get through and you start putting it into practice. I'd love to talk to you afterwards if that's you and you want to make a change. Now this episode has also got a whole bunch of secondary implications, I think, that I'll leave with you too. I won't go into depth, but there's a whole bunch of secondary implications, especially for those of us who belong to Jesus. And it has to do with the fact that what Jesus introduces to us is there's a spiritual family here that are linked by the covenant of blood that's thicker than the water of the womb. See, blood is thicker than water. And here the covenant of blood isn't so much to do with shedding blood together like in a war. It's thicker than that. It's all about the covenant established when Jesus shed his own blood on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin to make you right with God. And so somehow we find ourselves related to each other through Jesus as brothers and sisters, our family. Remember, Peter says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you, and, and including his family, his dad in the boat. And well, Jesus wasn't kidding when he says back to Peter, you'll receive many times, you'll receive back many times, more family than you can ever imagine. It's a provision, I think, that anticipates that some of us who become Christian do so at the cost of our being disowned by our families. You know, the, the ultimatum that you either leave Christ or you leave the home. And there are plenty of our brothers and sisters who are under pressure and tension because of their commitment to Jesus. I remember bumping into a whole bunch of them when I worked uh, with overseas students at New South Wales Uni. Uh, they come to Australia, sent by their families to get a degree and to get a good job. Somewhere along the way, by the grace of God, they meet Jesus. And suddenly their trajectory changes. Sure, they finish their degree, some of them, and they, and they do get decent work, but what their families didn't, I guess, bargain for was the fact that they return home committed to following Jesus, and that changes everything. And the families flip out. What do you mean you're going to stop being a doctor to go to Bible college? What do you mean you're going to start going to church? What are, you, what are you saying about us? What are you saying about how we raised you? What are you, what are you saying about how, what's important in life? And I find especially in those situations, anywhere where people are estranged from their biological families, the church has a real key part to play where we can be brother, sister, mother and father to these people. Now, in this spiritual family of ours, just like your flesh and bone family, you, you can't choose your relatives, can you? And you bet there's going to be differences and difficulties. So what happens when you throw people together of different ethnicity and gender and age and, and money and what colour you wear to work and what sins and weaknesses we have and what strengths and potential things we have that cause each other to envy? That's what happens when you throw people together. But God has chosen us to be his children. And brothers and sisters, 
with each other. And there's no clearer sort of local expression of that than local churches, our church. And there's a challenge there to make it work. On the positive side, family can and, and, and do say things that friends can't afford to say, can't they? We get the privilege of knocking each other into shape, of really helping each other and rebuking each other and then correcting each other even when it's painful. And even what we're going to do in, in just a moment, lunch, is significant. I know our church does a lot of food and sometimes it feels like we get a bit carried away, but eating together, I think, is actually good for us. Because that's what families do. It's not so much about impressing each other with our, our catering or, or filling your stomach with the best stuff. I think it's the fact that as we eat, we can talk and we can share and we can look after each other. A dozen things would have happened to you this week that don't sit easy with you. And you can hang on to every single one of those things, go home and face it alone again this coming week. But a family that eats together, that talks together, that shares together, that's what we have the opportunity to do for each other even in the next hour. So I hope that's going to happen now as we, as we break for lunch. Like I said, these reflections on what it means to be a church family is secondary. I think the main thing I think Jesus is encouraging us to think about in this very short passage is how we are responding to God's word. Are we listening? Are we putting it into practice? Are we related to Jesus? And then if so... Family, all the things that to do with family apply. Let me, let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for our families, for our, our parents, some of whom have passed away, for our brothers and sisters our cousins, our spouses, our children, our aunties, our uncles, our networks that are so different for each of us. Father, we thank you for what you've given us. Yet we want to say this morning that we don't live for them, but for you. Father, let us hear your word and let us be people who obey your word. We do thank you for our church family too. And since you've united us by Jesus' blood and his spirit, we pray that you'd teach us to be kind to each other, to be generous and accepting and, and loving, to be open and vulnerable and be, be willing to share. Father, teach us to be able to rebuke and to help each other and to show that we are followers of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.
been called together to be part of the greatest family there can be. God's family. We're his children. We should live like the children he wants us to be. 